Greetings and welcome. Thank you to each and every listener for tuning in for this brand new episode of On What Brings You In. My name is Bradley Wink, and I am an aspiring mental health counselor here to promote mental health awareness, discuss mental health topics, and spread some positive energy. I am recording today at the CoLab Studios in Clearwater, Florida, and I want to thank everyone here for their continued support. Today, we are going to continue our discussion on military and mental health. I love giving all of my listeners something to relate to, and by far, military and mental health has been the most requested topic by community members who wanted to be featured on this show. In what I'm hoping to be a multifaceted approach to this discussion, I have lined up three guests who are going to come from very different backgrounds and offer some diverse perspectives of what their mental health journey has been within the military. So... Today, I'm joined by Kate Honan, a dear friend of mine who also happens to be the sister of Andrea Honan, who is another friend, but she was the one, if you guys remember, she was featured on the first ever episode of this podcast when we talked about mental health in the workplace. Kate is here today joining us in in sunny Florida from the greater Chicago area where she works and resides. So thank you so much for being here, Kate. I am so happy to be here. I'm very excited. I'm excited. You guys are in for a treat. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny because after I got off the phone with you discussing this episode, I immediately called my lawyer just to make sure that we were okay. That's a very good thing that you did. Yeah, just to make sure <laughs> everything was just covered. Just low-key so. legal advice. <laughs> All right. So I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I mean, my audience knows that I am always trying to line up exciting guests from professionals to experts to community members. And I encourage truth and honesty on the show because without it, we're never going to do what I came here to do, which is fight mental health stigma. And, you know, Kate, I know that you are a no holds barred kind of person as a friend. Um, you've always been very direct and to the point. You don't bullshit. And you... Uh, you're not here to bash a system. I mean, I know that, but still, you are your own person. You are a fierce individual, and you are here to completely and totally give us what I'm going to call probably a Kate tells all. We love of. that. Yeah, I think that works for us. So <laughs> that's where we're going to go. Um, we want to just really get to your time in the military and how that's impacted your journey, but also the journey of some of those around you and their experiences that that you had, because I know there's a lot there. As always, before we get started, the views, information, or opinions expressed in this podcast are solely the views of those individuals involved and by no means represent absolute facts. Opinions expressed by the host and guests can change at any time. At time, this podcast may cover sensitive topics and we ask you refrain from listening if you are likely to be offended or adversely impacted by any of these topics. Neither the company, the producer, the host, nor the guest shall at any time be liable for the content covered causing offense, distress, or any other reaction. I am not a licensed mental health counselor, and this podcast should not be used to substitute for actual mental health support. And then before we get started, I do want to ask anyone listening to take a moment with Kate and me to honor those who have fallen for serving our country, for their sacrifice, and for the sacrifice of their family, their friends, and their community. Um, we also want to take a moment for the military personnel who we have lost to suicide and other mental health disorders. 22 a day. 22 a day. All right, Kate. So why don't you open this discussion up a little bit and tell us uh, more about what your role was in the military and, you know, what kind of made you join? So... What's actually kind of crazy is from the time I think I was 10 or 11, I begged my parents to send me to military school. Okay. And it 
that was what I wanted to do. I have no idea why. I can't tell you a reason. Um, and when I graduated high school and all of my friends were going away to college, it just didn't seem like a good fit for me. And I knew even, you know, being 18, I needed more structure, mm. 100%. So what's actually funny is when I went through the whole process of joining the Air Force, I actually joined before I realized it. And that's just how unaware I was as an 18-year-old. What do you mean? I was going through – so you go through a process with a recruiter – and they send you to a military processing station where you take your exams to get into the certain branch you want. Um, and then you go through the physical exams and all of that. Um, and I was just kind of there hanging out, bebopping around. Mm -hmm. And I had taken the oath of service and didn't realize it. <laughs> and I, when I went at home, my dad was like, oh, so what'd you do? And I was like, yeah, they like made me raise my hand. And he was like, so you literally <laughs> just enlisted. <laughs> So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, and he was like, I thought we were still going to keep talking about this. And I'm like, well, it is what it is. <laughs> All right. So, okay. So, so I originally entered as a just basic administrative, nothing special, um, whatever. Mm -hmm. So, I had met someone before that was in the service. And I had family members that were stationed at a base in the South where I wanted to go. So it worked out that I got stationed there. Okay. Um, and then when I got married, I married somebody who was in special operations. Mm -hmm. And since the base we were at was downsizing, mm -hmm. they moved me into the special operations squadron so that I could stay. Oh, okay. So that is how I started working with them and mm -hmm. really became – because before when I was, you know, just regular Air Force, you don't really see or hear a lot of what's going on because you're just doing it, – it's basically like an everyday office job. Okay. So it really wasn't until I was at that squadron where I started to see what was really going on mm -hmm. and my how it – affected my spouse as well mm -hmm. um ex-spouse but <laughs> right so, yeah ex-spouse but and how much that shaped me as an adult and growing up because i was 19 when i got married right i was gonna say what was the age range while this so, was going on i was 19 and he was 24 mm -hmm. so he had been in the air force for i think like five years already mm-hmm so he had already d been doing deployments because at that time, too, if you look back, this was 2009, 2010, um, that was a very pivotal point of the war in Afghanistan, and it things were really, you know, getting hot again. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's kind of how all of that came about. So you were deployed. Yes. So what's interesting, and I was thinking about this yesterday, so I had to basically negotiate my way to deploy because since I was married to an operator, they didn't want me to go because it was going to make the family life harder. So I basically had to, like I always do, argue my way into having that happen. And then 
my ex-husband had to also agree to let me go. Oh, okay. Because at that time, he was going to leave for his deployment a month before I would have gotten home. So it was in about an 11-month stretch of when we weren't together, which was honestly kind of normal anyway. Right, for anybody that goes through that. Right. I mean, it was pretty typical, but that situation was not. So, and I think going, I mean, that changed my life, Mm -hmm. changed my perspective. Um, Everything I thought I had known, because they kind of indoctrinate you to think that you know, these are bad people. These are evil, blah, 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 blah. Um, and it's it's so tempting to view your enemies as evil. Right. But there's good and evil on every side of every war that's ever been fought. So it's hard to not get sucked into that. Right. Well, what was your, what was your position, your role, your job when you were over there in the special ops? So when I was there, I was night shift battlefield operations. Okay. So we had, I think 61 operators in the field that were like actively fighting. Um, and we had to monitor all of their operations that were happening and then relay all that information to the commander. Okay. So we had, I mean, I think so. Yeah, we had camera, like eyes in the sky. So you could mm-hmm. see what was going on. You could hear the radios and you were picking up everything that was going on so that if things got bad or someone got killed, you could kind of move that information along. So you see a lot of crazy things. I, I'm, I was just going <laughs> to go there. Like what was the, I would say the wildest or. I think the craziest thing, um, and I'm going to try and carefully say this Mm -hmm. um the craziest thing i saw was when we were there because i was there in 2013 and there were it that was a very very crazy year Mm -hmm. um and one of our guys was on the radio and what happened frequently is Americans partnered with Afghani military forces to train them and try and facilitate a transfer eventually. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of them was posing as an Afghani military, and he was actually Al-Qaeda. Oh. So when the team was ramping up to go out on a convoy, he jumped on the machine gun and I think mowed down probably 40% of the team. Oh, wow. So we were listening to this on the radio. Oh, my gosh. And we were hearing our guy talking back to us because our guys would connect with Army Special Forces teams. Okay. Um, and we were kind of what We could see some of what was going on, mm-hmm. but they were blindsided. Right. So. Right. You're thinking about probably like 16 to 20 people were there and eight of them were killed. And for our guy, the team captain was shot right next to him. So when he showed up, I mean, he was like covered. Mm -hmm. And when he showed up, I remember being like, hey, are you okay? What's going on? He was like, oh, yeah, I'm just like really hungry. And because it's just you're so desensitized. Wow. Wow. And. Like, majority of his team was being transferred back to Germany. People lost their leg. Like, it was just a big deal. But I remember still thinking, like, well, that's what happens. 
That was what you were, that's what was going through your head. You're so kind of sucked into this, like, well, this is what we're doing is right. What we're, and so it's just like, yeah, that's, that's war. Yeah. You know, it's hard. Yeah. But looking back, it's like, that was, I mean, a lot. Well, and one of the big things that this three part, series is going to focus on within this is really, you know, and we, and I am not by any means saying that we don't need a military. We need military. We need strong soldiers. And I mean, if we train people to be desensitized to that point, what do we do after? And I think that's where the majority of the research should be focused on right now is how do we bring people down? Because so, so let me just recap this. Like when you had these, and actually I should reiterate that. I mean, can we bring people back from that? Can we bring people down to a point where maybe they can go back? And I mean, because how often do these things stay with you now in your day to day? Um, I mean, for me, I don't think, I think I am, which is not great. I'm very good at compartmentalizing. So mm-hmm. like I was telling you last week, it really wasn't until the last couple of years of all the things that I had seen and, you know, all this that it was like, wow, that actually affected me. Like mm-hmm. seeing, because the Al-Qaeda would frequently send us, they send out propaganda videos and mm-hmm. doing, and they had killed um, a group of 10 girls that were walking to school. Oh. And I think that was like probably something that stuck with me, which, you know, doesn't, I don't know them, whatever. Um, but I think it was just like, you see the casualties of war that are not associated with anything that you believe in. Gotcha. And so looking at that, it was such an eye opener. Mm -hmm. And before that, because of who I was married to a hundred percent transparency, it was, well, who cares? Mm -hmm. They're Afghanis. They deserve to die. Mm -hmm. Um, it doesn't really matter. Happy hunting, kill them all. Oh, wow. Wow. And I think that was an important part of what they kind of fed you. Mm-hmm. Because if you go into somewhere not believing in a cause, like, mm-hmm. how is that going to turn out? Right. Um, and then when I saw the humanity of what was actually going on, it it changed a lot. Mm-hmm. And it also created a lot of conflict within my personal life. Right. I because mean, I just changed uh, everything changed for me, mm-hmm. and for them, kind of circling back to bringing people down when they've been in fight or flight for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. Um, what they're doing now, I think, is is suicide mm-hmm. because I have known so many men who have devoted their entire adult life to training and fighting these wars. And as soon as they are unable to do exactly what they were trained to do, they are thrown to the wayside and they're spending their days fighting with the VA over disability and having zero purpose anymore. You're going from a thousand percent of purpose and fighting the good fight to zero and nobody cares about you anymore because you don't bring anything. Right. And so it's no wonder this is such a problem. Mm-hmm. And I've seen, I, I couldn't even tell you the amount 
of men I've seen that happen to. Mm -hmm. And that's why majority of marriages in the special operations and special forces career fields do not last. It's 80% divorce rate because they change. Yeah. It's constant trauma. Yeah. You're not with the same person that you, it's not. Yeah. That you married essentially. Right. And there's really, I mean, there are resources, but there's really nobody that's there to guide you because at the end of the day, it the military is still a business yeah. after all. Yeah. And they're going to try and there are some people that are good and want to help. But I mean, the amount of aftercare and like post-trauma care that all of these people would need, I don't think they even have the resources for it mm-hmm. because of how like dense it is. Yes. Yeah. So, well, let's go into that. So what was, so after you're seeing all these things and you're going through this and you're being exposed. And I know you said you felt very desensitized to it and you were being reinforced by somebody else who was desensitized to it. So it's not a surprise to me at all that you kind of compartmentalize a lot of those things. But what, what was your experience? When did maybe any sort of, I should talk to somebody, I should seek mental health services. I mean, what is that? Do you get those while you're there? Cause I have no idea. Um, so we, we did because we were lucky because we were, um, and if you're not super familiar, special operations, especially within the air force is such a small sect and it is so specialized that the support, AKA me, the support team members, um, they get a lot of care that they wouldn't necessarily get if they were just regular, you know, Joe Schmo in the Air Force. Um, so we actually had a chaplain fly in and out. Oh, okay. Um, and I had talked to him for a very long time after this, but on deployment, I had been also going through a lot of marital issues that we were going back and forth on. Mm-hmm. And also just growing up because yeah, I was 22. You were, yeah, you were very young. Um, yeah. And the chaplain was like, I just look at you and you seem like you have the biggest burden on your shoulders that I don't know how you can't bear. And that was like the first time I think I broke down and was just. But then you have this mentality in the back of your mind because of how this group functions that. If you are being emotional and crying and complaining, you're not a Spartan wife. And that's what you need to be. Gotcha. Gotcha. Because a Spartan wife doesn't do that. So any type of emotion is is wrong. Is weakness. Yeah. And it, you know, the second time my ex-husband was shot and I actually had to travel to go see him in Germany, um, it was, I had to figure out my own flight. Oh. Because they were like, I mean, he's going to be back eventually. And most people would probably take that as it is. And I was like, mm, <laughs> it's not going to work. Yeah. Um. But they were basically saying, well, he's not dead. So. Well, I just want to point out that you very <laughs> casually said the second time that my husband got shot. Yeah. Like I kind of went. I was like, wait, you the. Oh, the second time. And it's so casual for it's me, so casual too. For and you we're to divorced. Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even you. <laughs> That's right. The, yeah, it was like, I mean, it was like, you didn't have to like, I mean, I just, you just said it so nonchalant that I just want to point that out, that mm-hmm. exactly with what we're talking about. Yeah. 
and, and it, so there's obviously it still feels that way for you in many ways. I mean, it. Do, but I think if it could have happened to anybody, it probably was good that it happened to me because I was so and I don't think this is a good thing, but I was so cut off and shut down emotionally that when he FaceTimed me with his thumb over the camera and was like, by the way, I got shot. Uh, why aren't you picking up your phone? Uh, okay. And I mean, it was like, well, I mean, it was probably a big deal because they he had to get medevac to Germany and then we had to get medevac to Walter Reed and we l- spent a lot of time there. Gotcha. Um, so it was serious. Yeah, yeah. But, and, and we spent weeks there and it was just like, yep. I mean, this is... This is this your is job. Do, right. This is Spartan this is, Wife's job. Gotcha. And I remember when a counselor came in and and was talking to us, and I was basically kind of trying to open up and being like, this has been really hard. And, and I don't blame him at all because this is the mentality. He was like, well, I just don't understand why she's upset because she's not the one that's hurt, so why does it matter? Mm. And it's like, well, I mean, you are my husband. Right, I was going to say. And you did almost yeah. die. Yeah. So sometimes right. that can that can be problematic. Yeah, and you can you're, you have the right to be upset by that. Right, but, but it wasn't. Yeah, well, especially in a marriage, you view yourself as a unit. So you know, I mean, even when something physically does not happen to the other person, it still impacts you. It still right. It, there's an effect always. So right. But as a Spartan wife, that effect was not really allowed to even be. No. Viewed or no. Or looked into. It was just like, get it together. And I, because there was, before, you know, our, we got divorced, there were so many guys that were like, oh, you are, you're the perfect wife. You do what you're told. You don't make any issues. And you live your life based on him. And that, I guess, can be great for some people but to me that's a very depressing thing to be complimented on right right <laughs> it's basically saying well you have no personality or life so thank god you know like it's <laughs> doing good yeah but to me at that time i was like wow mm. i'm really making it <laughs> yeah well can i ask what what eventually led to the divorce like what what because fi- if you had problems for so long and you had major issues coming down from we, your environment so, so what's interesting is the two months before he left on that deployment was probably the happiest and the best we had ever been. We had really worked out a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. We had really let a lot of things go because at the end of the day, when you get married as a kid, you're growing as a wife. And I don't think there's any 19-year-old out there that knows what it takes to be a supportive wife, a supportive partner. A po- You just don't. You're still figuring yourself out. You're a out. child. Yeah. And so we had, I I will always remember that it was, we were so happy and it was like, yeah, we finally made it. Mm-hmm. And then that happened. And I think that was the first time that I really saw the emotional and mental changes in him. Mm-hmm. Obviously not any fault of his own, but I think a lot of things from the injury started to really bubble surface Mm -hmm. um and everything from because this was his 11th deployment that he was shot on so all of the time before then was really starting to wow 
Wow. bubble its way up to the surface. Right, right. And it's important to know because that will happen. I mean, with trauma, the more we push it down, which is a natural response, we are designed to avoid pain. So the more you push, the more you push. And, and a lot of times, like a physical injury, something that um, the body responds to will bring that trauma back up. So I'm not surprised at all that that was starting to happen to it. So, and I don't want to go too much into him because obviously like, he's not the one that's here, but mm-hmm. I mean, for somebody who had 11 deployments, what did the mental health resources look like for him? Well, there was really none because they had to accept it. And if they did, then they would be worried that they would be taken off. And their life, because when you talk to men like this, who are incredible people, by the way, um, as soon as they come home, all they want to do is go back. Right. And... So life with us, our normal life, is actually a lot harder for them than the life there. Right. It's very simple. Right. You're, right. You know what you're there for. It's very black and white. Right. And at home, there's gray areas and there's com- there's complexities. There's You actually have to be present. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So. Well, and that goes to show what conditioning does do. And I mean, we talk about it all the time. And when people don't understand conditioning... It's re- it's repetition, essentially, that becomes associated with an event or a, an object or a, 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 a substance. I mean, it could be anything. And so if in that case, when you are being conditioned and then being reinforced by these conditions to continue to act some way, I mean, I can't imagine that many years of sacrifice and then trying to go back into it's, what it's I would say the real world. It's emotional Pavlovian behavior. It's <laughs> yeah, literally yeah. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, well, that was like the first time I really, and I think at that point we were trying to do counseling and all that, but it, I think there was just so much. I feel like there was something that was probably way too far removed that it was never going to get, but I mean, just, just based right. on for sure. These little... And they don't have, they're, they're a hundred percent. They don't have enough support. Right. They don't. So what happened when you, after your deployment? What happened with your story, your journey? Because I'm trying to keep it along that timeline a little bit just so, so we can... So I got home. Uh, my ex-husband was still deployed. So I he was gone for another three months. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of, And I was getting out of the military because... You were done. Um, 50-50. I probably would have stayed because I, I loved the military, mm-hmm. let me tell you. I love structure. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Um, But it, I was... In my mind, I was choosing my marriage over what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that was my choice. So we live with our choices. But so I was waiting for him to come home. I was get, I had gotten out of the military, so I was done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I wanted to move. Then we wanted to move somewhere. So there was a lot going on. Mm-hmm. And he was training and changing into a more specialized unit, which was a lot more time away and a lot stricter. I mean, if you had a, a tumultuous family background, they wouldn't let you come in because your wife and your children needed to be 100% on board with you. Oh. So you had to act right, basically. Oh, okay. Wow. So, I mean, and it was all of that basically being like, mm-hmm, yeah, 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 yeah. So, and I think at the time it probably fit who I was, but I don't think, you know, mm-hmm. you knowing me, I'm not the person that's going to do whatever you want me to do because it works for you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And 
you know, God love him because that was his career and he wrote it out. Mm -hmm. And who knows what he's like now, but I'm sure there's a lot of issues. (laughs) (laughs) And well, and I can only hope that, and I've never, I've never met him, um, but I really hope that he is getting support and help because that's, and again, it's kind of one of those things. I don't want to speak too much on him, but I just, you know, it just out of general concern for anybody that would have mental health issues or um, any disorders that would come up, just the help is very important, but it's a good point to bring back though. With yourself, I mean, so then what was your mental health journey like after you got home? I mean, I, I know you were dealing with all of this stuff, um, but, you know, what was that like? When did you go to anywhere here? Like, or. Well, and that's what's funny is all of the things, because it was a very crazy deployment mm-hmm. um, for somebody who's never deployed mm-hmm. and me being in the job that I was in it was like unheard of okay for my rank okay um but they were like well it's so and so's wife I think she'll be fine mm-hmm. um so because of that I really had to keep myself in check because I didn't want to disappoint my husband right I didn't want to have a bad reflection on him so when I got home it was kind of like, well, you know, that's war. War is hell. So mm-hmm. it is what it is. And I think so many years later, I am seeing a lot of things that I didn't really acknowledge before, just like how easily scared I am and certain noises and stuff. And not saying that I went through so much more trauma. It's just stuff that I didn't really realize. At the time, right. Because I am a very – as as outwardly hard and cold that I can be, internally I'm very sensitive. Mm-hmm. And I'm very sensitive about the feelings all around me. So there's still certain sounds that remind me of when we would be rocketed and we didn't know where it was going to land. And you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Hopefully it's not here. It's not here. <laughs> God, I can't even imagine. So it's – and I I never really realized any of that until much, much later. Mm. And when I actually – was being treated by the VA and I somehow was able to have the most literally life-changing, amazing psychiatrist Mm. who did not, would not back down with me. And that was at the VA. Yeah. And that's awesome. People who don't back down to me like that is not, (laughs) there's not many people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I wouldn't even want to know what that's like. (laughs) And he would be like, okay, fine. You don't want to show up. I'm going to call your parents. I don't care. Mm -hmm. So, and that's not everybody's story, and I think that is really what saved me. Mm-hmm. So, what was his approach? I mean, what what was just what? Where did he go when you kind of shared with him your experiences? And I mean, let me ask this too: Were you bringing up things about the PTSD, or are you saying that was more after, like there years later? There was because I had experienced a military sexual assault too. Oh, okay. So that was kind of brought up later on, and then when when he got me, this poor man. I had or I was knees deep in a drug problem. Mm-hmm. I was having a lot of issues with alcohol. And my friends laugh about it now, but I remember him being like, When was the last time, you know, you did when was the last time you did cocaine? And I'm like, Well, I just did it in the bathroom. So I guess like four minutes ago. And he was like, Oh God. okay. When was the last time you drank? And I'm like, Well, I shotgunned a Bud Light in the bathroom too after I did that. That was where I ripped that line. So. Yeah. 
And he was like, well, I guess, I mean, you're being honest. Well, so. you got to be honest. Lying about it's not going to do anything. Right. So. so I think he also really wasn't phased by me. And I think a lot of times um. I try and get the the shock reaction. <laughs> and he was just like, girl, I just can't with you. Right. I got 25,000 right. other veterans that right. like. Well, and the VA is very interesting, and I am very much looking forward to the episode where I have a VA doctor who's coming on. So th- just because they have their own, from what I understand, I mean, they have a lot of their own practices and agendas and, I mean, everything that's going on and short-staffed and resources are low. And so it's just – it's a very difficult position. And I do know a lot of people who have maybe not had the best experience with the VA, but it's good to hear your story and know that there are still always – you know, there are good people out there. There are good. And I'm not saying people aren't good when they're at the VA. I just mean you never know. And with counseling in general, you never know what you're going to get. You don't. And with my psychiatrist, so he didn't actually do therapy. He mm. basically – and I had been on um, an antipsychotic that I should have never have been prescribed. Mm-hmm. No way should I have been prescribed that. Mm-hmm. So he worked with me for a year of t- going off of that, I was switching say, my medication. Right. Um, but he didn't do the therapy portion of it. Okay. Did- so he was like, okay, we need to start going through this regression process of your sexual assaults. We need to start going through this. And I went through like six therapists and I was like, no, they're younger than me and they don't even know anything. And he's like, I know, I read the notes. <laughs> they don't want to see you either. So <laughs> and I'm like, well. They, they dissolved the counseling relationship. Me, right. Yep. They're asking me like, so when you were sexually assaulted on a scale of one to 10, how bad did that make you feel? And I'm like, honestly, 2.5, you know? So it was just something like that where I'm like, I'm not cut out for this. And so he worked with me a lot and he mm-hmm. and he worked with me a lot of my medication. I'm mm-hmm. a big advocate of being medicated. Yeah. Some of us just need it. So, well, yeah, absolutely. 100%. Um, And he is somebody who will always like, and I know a lot of people have had really bad experiences and somehow I was blessed mm-hmm. with him being assigned to me right. and having both hospitals that I go to mm-hmm. in the Chicago area. Incredible. Good. I mean, they're Good. not like, you know, we're not here getting our feet rubbed, but right, I get right. the care that I need. Exactly. And I am treated like a human being. So what would you say to people, I mean, I mean, that aren't getting that? Um, I would say to advocate for yourself to because I was not above calling somebody else. I still to this day have an extremely close relationship with my squadron chief and his family. Mm-hmm. So he was willing to like burn it down for me. Mm. Um but call your congressman. Right like literally yeah. write your congressman. Call the hospital. You just you have to be a fighter. Right. I mean and you're I designed know, to be that way. And a lot of times when you're struggling where you don't know if you're gonna live today, that can be something that is just not on your your peripheral vision. Right. Because you're you're just fighting to make it today. Right. Right. Which is why I mean th- so much has to change. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's just not fair. Well, where would you I mean in your opinion where 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 does the change need to start? I think the change needs to start with the transition outwards. Okay. So when you're transitioning out of the military and everything that goes along with that but also and i honestly i couldn't tell you how i could change this but the stigma mm-hmm. behind this the stigma behind your mental health 
is so bad. I mean, there were guys that just went crazy and ended up in the middle of the woods and the squadron had to go find him. Yeah. And that was a better option than just saying, I need help. I need help. So right. that's the thing. It's the stigma is so real. It is. Well, and I mean, I'm, I'm not to toot my own horn, but that is what this is about. That is exactly what this podcast right here is about, is identifying it and talking about it and having the open, honest discussions. Because and the great thing about a podcast is just we don't exactly know the audience. We know there is an audience. We know they're they're widespread, but we don't know right now who's listening to what we're saying and who's listening to your story and saying, holy shit that same thing happened to me or I felt the exact same way. And by giving, I mean, I'm just so lucky to know you in general, but just to know that you did get that help and that you did have a positive experience. I mean, even if you did, good point, you went through six counselors. Well, you go through six counselors to find one that works for you. And well, I mean, but in general, any, but it's just anytime you need to, you just keep moving on. You keep, you keep pushing forward. Well, you have to be able to say I matter and I, I'm worth this. Mm -hmm. And then also say, these are my boundaries. These are my triggers. And I have to acknowledge that. And if the people around me don't care, then those are the people that I want around me. You, you don't need them around you as you're going through your own journey. You and don't. That's... And you'll lose a lot of people when you're really trying to fix yourself. Mm -hmm. You will lose the most friends and the most family members because people like it when you're sick and broken and they don't really they're not comfortable when you're happy and mended because then they have to Forces take a look them at look themselves. Inwards. So, and, and you know, and a good thing too, I mean, with you talking about the stigma, something I do want to bring up too is like, you know, the, the dynamic is shifting. The, so one of the good things that we, the research I've seen just from being a student in the field is that as the younger generations are coming up, the older generations are now embracing mental health. And I actually saw a documentary that was really interesting and it kind of was talking about when Americans became um, aware of their anxiety and a lot of people pinpoint it to 9-11 because it was one of the first times where everybody just kind of felt threatened, whether you were in New York City or if you were in, you know, out in Idaho somewhere. And everybody just kind of was sitting with this kind of looming doom feeling. And so that actually kind of became even more reinforced after COVID. It's a really interesting documentary, but it is just bringing to light the more that we become aware of our own anxiety the more we become aware of our own trauma, our own PTSD, the more likely we are to go out and seek the help. But if society's saying, hey, mental health's not that bad, more people are getting on board with it. So the numbers are showing that. So I just think, you know, it is a good thing. And that's why I'm very happy to have you here talking with us and sharing all of it because it's important. Every single last bit, every detail. So um, as we are just wrapping up, getting to kind of a closing point, what else do you want to, anything else you want to say, tell people share yes yeah let me hold on i gotta get my soapbox out okay here we go no you <laughs> you matter you are you have a purpose in life maybe you haven't found it yet but you will and you're worthy of being acknowledged and seeking help and finding somebody that sees you as the person that you are and maybe it's not the first person maybe you got to go through a couple like i've been through a lot mm -hmm. but you are worth the effort into yourself because giving up it it's just it can't be an option right we this is the only life we have and we're going to go through trauma we're going to be depressed we're going to have anxiety but that is also life mm -hmm. and there's a lot of other wonderful beautiful amazing things that can happen when you choose to heal yourself and put yourself first 
Right. Scene. <laughs> well, that was absolutely gorgeous. I mean, as you know, as I knew everything you said would be. So thank you very much again um, for being here. Also, thank you for your service. Thank you for everything that you've done. And thank you on a personal note, just for, you know, being my friend. So it's always You're welcome. Good, I know. Thank you. <laughs> um, I also uh, want to note, uh, just again, by having this discussion, um, we are not discouraging anyone who might be thinking about enlisting in the military, anyone who's thinking about going forward. We're just making it very known and very aware to be aware and no, very I'd known. No, I'd do it. And, I would do it again all over again. Right. 100%. What would you do different? Um, I would probably actually study and get better test scores so I didn't have a paper-pushing job oh, okay. because I just didn't care. And mm-hmm. me and my neon long acrylic nails did not care. <laughs> so hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so – I mean, again, we just and I like that you're saying that because you're not being like, no, don't. And we're not. And we need Mm-mm. we need military. Not. My God. It I changed mean, my life. Yeah. And there was a lot of, you know, shitty things that happened, but it also changed me into a better person that I probably would have never have been. Mm-hmm. So I would never change. I probably wouldn't change almost anything gotcha. because there's a reason. Right. Right. And we're going to take it and move forward. That's exactly. all we can do. And it's good for to fight for your country, just saying. Anyway. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, to anyone who is serving right now, thank you so much for your dedication to our freedom and for rising to the call to protect a nation we are all proud to call home. If you or anyone you know is experiencing an immediate mental health crisis, please call 911 or you can call or text 988 for additional mental health support. If you have enjoyed this episode or if you would like to add to the conversation, you can visit my website, www.onwhatbringsyouinepisodes.com, for more information. Another big thank you to the Collab Studios, as always, for their help and direction. My name is Bradley Wank, and this has been an episode of On What Brings You In. Thank you, and have a wonderful rest of your day. <laughs>